Hi, this is Chris Sorensen. Welcome to Brookville Road Community Church Podcast. If you haven't done so already, please take a moment to check out our website at brookvilleroad.cc for all the latest information about what's going on at Community Church. I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Let's open up uh, scripture. I, I, wanna, I want us to talk about why it is that we even do missions. Why, why would we do this? And so I want to ask you a, a question here. Is Jesus Christ the only way to find salvation? And if so, what does that mean for us? Now, when we raise that kind of question, I think that the world, the culture that we live in, they have a problem with that. They have a problem with the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. They say, well, that's not fair. Uh, I heard one pastor put it this way. He said it's, it's almost like, okay, somebody dies and uh, they've never received Jesus. So they get there and God shows up and God says, aha, you never received Jesus. And they're like, Jesus who? And he says, well, it's too late now. And he kicks them out and on the way to hell, they're screaming, wait, wait, wait. And then God says, tough cookies in Latin. And uh, so it's just not fair. Why would God do that? They would say, well, how about somebody who's never heard of God? They're on some remote island and they've never known who he is. How can he hold them accountable for what they don't know? So as a result of all of this, it's not fair. People develop, even Christians develop, kind of a practical universalism where they believe that just about everybody goes to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven except for really bad people like Hitler or their boss or IRS agents or Country music singers, all right? They're not gonna make it. So, right, they're like, well, some Christians even say, well, even if you could just find a religion, doesn't really matter what religion, and if you do the right things in that religion, that's like obeying Christ, and so maybe God looks the other way and they'll make it into heaven. Some people think, well, you know, I know what I believe, but I don't wanna push that off on somebody else. That's gonna make me feel awkward. It's gonna make them feel awkward. Really, when it comes down to it, that's their business, Well, I want us to look at the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans because he came to a completely different conclusion and it transformed and changed his life. And so as I talk about this today, I think this is one of those things that will help explain maybe some questions that you've had about Christianity. Either that or it's just gonna make you mad. You'll say, that's exactly why I don't like you Christians. And you may even get upset with me as I'm sharing this stuff. And that's okay, I can take it. There's a long line of people who don't like me. I'm just trying to take scripture seriously. Just know that even if I offend you with what you hear today, that I still love you, and I still want to engage in conversation with you. So we're gonna open up our Bibles to Romans chapter one. Romans one, and here's the first point that I want us to make as Paul goes through this logically, and is this. All people are aware of God. All people are aware that there's a God. Romans 1, 18, it says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Lots of people have problems with the wrath of God, but it's revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We'll come back to that. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So God has revealed himself and made himself known How has he done that? Next verse, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. 
So what we have is just this natural sense of awe and wonder as we look at the creation that God has made, as we look up and we look out into the cosmos and see how massive and grand it is, there's just this sense of, wow, I think I have come from somewhere because nothing comes from nothing and something must come from something. So there had to be something, someone who got this whole ball rolling and I believe that's a God, and so we look at his creation, and we say, well, that's really beautiful, and that's really intricate, and this creation is very creative. There must be a creator. We also have within us the sense of there is something right and there's something wrong. When our conscience begins to give us a little check in our heart and our mind, it's revealing the truth that there is right and there's wrong. You go across all cultures, all cultures, and they know that there is right and there is wrong. Wrong, And that's revealing to us that there is a lawgiver to whom one day we must give answer to. And so all people are aware that there's a God. And maybe you say, well, what about atheists? Well, atheism is an acquired belief. Atheism is an acquired disbelief. I don't know if you have heard of Helen Keller before. Uh, Helen Keller was mute, deaf, and blind, and one day her teacher, Ms. Sullivan, wanted to try to get across the truth of who God is to Helen Keller. And so Ms. Sullivan invited a gentleman by the name of Dr. Philip Brooks to come and, and talk to her about who God is. And so Dr. Brooks came and he was talking to Ms. Sullivan and then Ms. Sullivan would translate to Helen through the, the finger pressure that she would use to communicate. And as Dr. Brooks got to the part explaining who God was, Helen's face just lit up and she beamed and she said, oh, oh, I know him. I've known him for a long, long time. I just never knew what to call him. Beyond ears to hear and eyes to see, God has written himself on the human heart. But all people, because of their unrighteousness and ungodliness, suppress that truth. Remember this verse, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. And so we resent God's glory. We resist his rule in our lives. We, we don't want him ruling over us. We don't want him to have all the glory. And so what ends up happening is man makes himself central. We begin to make everything revolve around us, including God. So we want his glory, we want it for ourselves, we want to make up our own rules. And so as a result of that, all people are aware of God, but all people resist God. We all push away from his glory, we want the glory. And we make up our own rules. N none of us, religious or not, are able to live up to moral standards, even if you're not religious, let's say, and, and you kind of create your own little system in your own mind of what's right and what's wrong, you fail there as well. Because none of us are perfect. All of us fail and drop the ball. We resist God, we pursue not God and his glory, we pursue our own glory and our own pleasure. And in order to drive that home, Paul, in Romans 1, 21 through 27, just highlights some of these things. And he starts talking about how people will just pursue their own pleasure and what they want. And he says they began to move in the direction of homosexuality and lust and idolatry because that's what all people do. We know there's a God. We know he has a will and a plan and it is for his glory. And yet we don't want that will and plan. We want our own pleasure. 
And because of this idea of submitting to God is so distasteful for us, we don't want to repent. We, we want to rebel. And as a result of that, people are very easily convinced, oh, there's no God. And if they don't go in the direction of atheism, they'll move in the direction of hedonism. I'll just go ahead and please myself and make my own way. Verse 28 puts it like this. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. All people resist God's rule. Some people create different religious systems in order to work all that out. Some people reject all religious systems and turn to atheism. But the end result is the same. Man becomes center. We want all of the glory and we want to make the rules. And we want to tell God how it's going to be. All people are aware that there is a God. And all people reject him. Therefore, all people stand guilty before God. Through our suppression of the truth, our resistance of his righteous laws and decree and direction in our life. Because we resist that and push back, we stand condemned. And what we have hanging over our head is what we found in verse 18, and that is the wrath of God. Verse 18, it said again, the wrath, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. So if our hearts naturally hate God, we don't want to submit to him. We don't want to admit that we are sinners. We don't want to repent. We want to go ahead and make up our own rules. We want everything to revolve around us. Then we stand at odds with God, and we deserve his wrath, and we stand condemned. And we're just shocked at that point that God would dare punish us. Like, how dare you, God? I should be able to kick my way into your heaven and tell you how I'm going to live and how I'm just going to keep on doing my own thing, not really interested in you receiving all of the glory. And through that rebellion, we stand condemned. And if we all got our way and just went into heaven and we said heaven's all about us, that's not going to work because there's only room in heaven for one God. Somebody else determined at one point that they were going to try to usurp God in his throne. His name was Satan, and it didn't work out really well because there's only room for one God. And you and I resist that God and his rule in our lives, and so we stand condemned. All people are guilty before God because all people have resisted the rule and the glory of God that has been evident to us in creation. We are all guilty. There is no innocent person on a remote island. There is no innocent person. We are all guilty. People are aware that there's a God. People resist that God, and they stand condemned before him, but amazingly, mind-blowingly, God has made a way of salvation for all people. This is where it begins to turn. This is where the mood begins to lighten a little bit when we turn over to Romans chapter three. This is where it begins to turn and transform from something that's been really, really bad, like we know there's a God, not really interested in that God ruling in my life, and I'm gonna do my own thing, and I'm gonna just make my own way, and God says, well, you're separated from me because you're just interested in yourself, and now this God, amazingly, begins to move in the direction of the rebels. Romans 3, verse 21. But now, something's changed, but now, 
the righteousness of God. That's not the righteousness of man. We don't have righteousness. Our righteousness is like filthy, dirty rags to God. But God's righteousness, the righteousness of God, has been made manifested, made known apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. How has it been manifested? Where did this righteousness come from? The righteousness of God through faith in, here it comes, Jesus Christ. For all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There it is again. We have all missed the mark. This idea of sin that he's talking about here, the word in Greek is hamartia. There, there is a, a bullseye, if you will. There is a target, and the center of that target is perfection. And if you and I could hit that center target and be absolutely perfect, fantastic, we are holy, we are righteous, we can stand before God and say, I have never done anything wrong. You're gonna have to go ahead and let me into your heaven. But all of us have missed that mark at one time or another. We never hit it perfectly. There has only been one person who has ever hit the mark perfectly, and that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the living one who is absolutely perfect. The rest of us, we have all sinned. Then it says, but we are justified made right to God by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So this is saying that God's salvation isn't something that you earn. It's not something that you have inherent in you that makes you better than anybody else in order to receive that salvation. It is the gift of God. Jesus' gift to us was to stand in our place, was to hang on that cross and the full fury of the wrath of God was put on Jesus Christ on our behalf. And that was not fair. He didn't sin. He's perfect. I've sinned. I deserve wrath. I deserve hell. That's fair. It was not fair that Jesus, who had done nothing wrong, would pay that price. So God's salvation isn't something that we earn. What, what is amazing is not God's judgment. It's his forgiveness extended to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And the way that we receive that gift isn't by working for it, isn't by trying harder, isn't by showing our resume to God. It is by receiving it, verse 22, through belief. All people are aware that there's a God. He has written himself on our hearts. All people resist God because they want to be God. They want all of the glory. They want to make the rules. Therefore, we stand condemned. But amazingly, God would move in the direction of the rebels and provide a way of salvation. And here's the next part. People must hear that gospel and believe to be saved. Romans 10. Again, this, this isn't something that we come up on, with our own, on our own. Like, as mankind, we don't say, oh, I know, I know how we would get to heaven. What we would end up doing is saying, we earn it, we, we work for it. And yet the way that we actually get to heaven is not by working for it, it's by God coming down and becoming flesh, perfect man, taking on our sin. It says this in Romans 10. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing 
through the word of Christ. The preached word of Christ has a life-giving power to it. The witness of his people to the truth of the gospel good news of Jesus Christ that I once was a sinner separated from God at enmity with him and yet he moved my direction, died for my sins on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended to heaven and sent his Holy Spirit to regenerate me, to make me his own. It is through that gospel message that continues to go out that people find salvation. And yet people will say, well, I still think you could just probably find that in nature. Like if you kind of just look at nature and believe, yes, there is a God, and if I just simply believe, yep, there's a God, and I'm gonna try to be a good person. And if I'm a good person, a you know, good boy or a good girl, and I do more good things than bad things, well then surely God will let me into the heaven. I don't need Jesus Christ or to hear this message and respond to it. I just need to be good. Well, interestingly, <laughs> Scripture has a person just like that for us in Acts chapter 10. His name is Cornelius. Cornelius is a Gentile, but he was a God-fearer, and he was generous, and he prayed. He feared God. And so if anybody ever asks, can somebody who hasn't repented of their sin, does God hear their prayers? You can say yes, because Cornelius, who was a good boy, praying, being generous, God heard his prayers. And so God sent an angel to Cornelius. He said, Cornelius, you need to send for a guy named Simon. He goes by Peter. He's staying in Joppa at Simon Tanner's house. You go get him, and he'll tell you what you need to do. And so Cornelius sent for Peter, and Peter came, and he spoke to Cornelius. And when he got there, Peter didn't say, Cornelius, I'm here to tell you that you've been really good, and God has seen it, and you're saved because you're a good person. He didn't say that. Peter said, Cornelius, Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins and you need to repent of your sin, believe on Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. He didn't say to him, you're just a good person, I'm just here to show up and tell you that you're saved. It was the preaching of God's word, the truth of the message given to Cornelius. It wasn't even the angel. God could have used the angel who showed up to Cornelius. That would have been quicker. Just use an angel to give the gospel. That's not how God does it. He invites his church, his people, to carry the gospel good news of Jesus Christ and to begin to spread it all over the world. That's how it moves forward. It is the witnessing of God's people. That's how he moves. Paul says, how will they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear unless someone is sent? And yes, we can say they can read scripture, they could read their Bible and find Jesus in there, but even within that same scripture that we say somebody might be able to read that scripture and learn who Jesus is, that same scripture that we're hanging on there says to us, you will be my witnesses. You are to carry this gospel good news in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We are his witnesses. So if people in the world are to hear that gospel, it is our job to carry it forward. We're the ones to tell them. If people are aware that there is a God, they resist his rule, they stand condemned. God in his great mercy has provided a way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ, and the preached word of God must go out. And I would finally add, it needs to happen urgently. It needs to happen quickly because the task is urgent. There's no time to kind of just sit back and let this thing accidentally happen. There, there are billions of people on planet Earth right now that are marching into a Christless eternity. 
I read a stat that said if, if you took all of the unreached people groups and all of the people who are rejecting Jesus Christ right now and you lined them up in a line, they would circle the earth 25 times. I started thinking, how many people does it take just to make a straight line across Indiana? And all of those people are marching into a Christless eternity. There's no other way for them to hear the gospel than by the church moving forward with the gospel. And we can deny that, we could ignore it and put our head in the sand, or we could embrace it. And I would encourage you to ask God, God, you have given me your gospel, I know this good news, I have a relationship with your son Jesus Christ, how will you use me? How will you use me locally and globally? What would you have me to do personally? Why is it, those of you in the room who are saved, why'd God save you? Why did he save you? I mean, there's nothing about you that makes you any better than anybody else. I mean, when, when God saved me, it wasn't because of some stellar resume because the only thing I had to give him was like sin and brokenness and pride and darkness and yet he moved in my direction with grace. And when you begin to realize that there's nothing inherent in you that makes you better than anybody else on any other part of this planet, that then begins to propel your heart to want to move in their direction so that they might hear the same good news that you have heard. And I know, I know some of you still have a problem with Christianity and it being exclusive and you think, well, that's really, you know, kind of arrogant and intolerant. But we didn't make this up. We're reading it from scripture. I mean, if we were gonna make something up, we'd make it easy. And it's not as if people who truly understand what God has done for them are harsh and arrogant about that fact. We just realize how much God has saved us from snatching us out of a fire like a brand so that we might know him. How could we not tell other people? How could we not share the best news on the face of the planet ever? I start out by talking about it's, it's not fair. It's just not fair. What's fair is that we all go to hell. That's what fair is. Because we have all rejected God and missed the mark. God in his benevolent mercy and grace has sent us a way to be saved. Unbelievable. What's not fair, what's not loving, is for those of us who have heard the good news and responded it to not tell others. That's not fair. That's not loving. To not share it. To not give. To not move in that direction. We we talk about this in this place because we're convinced of what scripture says. We're convinced of what we find in the pages of this book. We're convinced by what the disciples saw. Not what they say they believed, but what they saw with their own eyes. They saw a risen Jesus Christ from the dead, proving that he's God. And they began to declare, Jesus is Lord, he's God. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords and they said there is no other name in which we might be able to find salvation and it is through the name of Jesus Christ that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. 
and empowered by the command of Jesus Christ in his authority, they began to move out, empowered by the Spirit of God, commanding people and instructing them to repent of their sins and believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is so that they might have salvation for all eternity. That's our message. And it's urgent. And it's urgent that you receive it. I have no idea, because I'm not the judge, I am not the lawgiver, how many of us in the room have truly decided to follow Jesus and repent of our sin. I have no idea how many of us in this room are hanging our hat on being a good boy or a good girl, or the hopes that God is just a universalist God who just winks at sin and lets everybody in to do their own thing. I don't know where you're at. But I do know Jesus moved in your direction. So that at a moment like this, you would drop to your knees spiritually, repent of your sin, and say, Jesus, you're now Lord of my life. Wash me, cleanse me, forgive me. I wanna walk with you forever. That can happen in a moment with a yes to him. Let's pray. Father, I have no idea how much longer I'll be here or the people in this room or the people that I have yet to bump into who need to know your son, Jesus Christ. But until that moment, Holy Spirit, would you continue to soften hearts and open ears at just the right time to hear the gospel and respond. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the truth that you are God, Jesus. You are God. Holy Spirit, you are God. And in this moment, you can transform a life. And I thank you for doing that because that's only a work that you could do to regenerate and take us from darkness and give us the light of Christ to snatch us away from hell and to give us eternal life in you. Father, I thank you for our missionaries as we walk out of these doors, people who are taking this gospel good news to just the ends of the earth. And the privilege that we have of partnering with them in prayer and finances and encouragement. We pray, Lord, that you would use them for your glory and for your honor. We submit ourselves as a body of Christ to you, Lord Jesus. This is your church. And we will carry the banner of Christ and your good news everywhere we go. In your name we pray. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.